Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andre Degler, and in this special episode, I am going to share with you a fireside chat and a panel discussion that my colleague Robin Wouters had at the virtual conference Podium DX. He talked to Margrethe Vestager, a European Commissioner for Competition and the chair of the group Europe Fit for the Digital Age. Yes, I also didn't quite understand what it means, and that is going to be one of the questions in the conversation. But in the European Union and the European Commission, Vestager has in many ways become the face of the fight against the big tech, with investigations against players like Google and Apple and Amazon and Qualcomm, and many of these investigations, as you might have heard, ended with record-breaking fines. So let us hear together what Ms. Vestager is up to now. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, and uh, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule as well, Mr. Steger. We are going to dive right in. You arrived here in Brussels, where I am actually uh, born and raised and also uh, based here now. You arrived in 2014 to become the European Commissioner for Competition. You still are the European Commissioner mm -hmm. for Competition, but in December 2019, you also got a new role, which is uh, become the Executive Vice President for a Europe fit for the digital age. And I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what does it actually mean, a Europe fit for the digital age? Well, basically, uh, what I do is to try to enable, because a Europe where we make the best use of digital technology is a Europe where uh, you, uh, all the colleagues uh, making uh, Podium happen, all the startups, where they feel that, wow, this is for me, I can make things uh, happen. And of course, also for the maybe teacher in, uh, in her 50s uh, who want to reach out to students uh, that can otherwise not be in the classroom. This is for doctors trying to find uh, a cure to test well-known drugs uh, on a new disease, uh, talking about uh, COVID-19. My role is to enable all of that and, of course, to discuss with our legislator, those that we elect uh, as citizens, what kind of limitations do we need in order to make sure that we have our fundamental values? I think now we have all tried <clears throat> what it's like not to be able to move around freely. We've been in confinement. And, and maybe that makes us appreciate even more that we have fundamental values and we should remember to protect them, even when I think most of us are being very, very enthusiastic about digital technologies. Yes. That's a great answer, but I also, this is maybe a bit of a sneaky question, but the digital age is not necessarily a new thing. We've been in a digital age for a while now. Yes. Um, so why don't we make Europe fit for whatever age comes next, uh, you know, fit for the future rather than for something that's already been happening for quite some time? But that is, that is an excellent point. Uh, and this is also why I was figuring out what does it really mean being fit for digital age? For me, this means to make the best use of digital technology for human purposes, because every society is for its citizens. Uh, every market is for its customers. So it's basically to say, well, what kind of society do we want to be? What kind of relationships would we want to have? What kind of room would we want to have for developing new businesses and new business models? That is the main driver. Technology is an amazing helper uh, in what we want to do. But it is technology. It's not sort of the core of human uh, aspiration. Yes, and actually on that note, because of the commission, uh, the way it works is that the digital and technology touches everything. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you have commissioners for things like competition, but you also have internal market, you have economy, yes. transportation, um, things like innovation even. So how does it all work in practice within the commission? 
Well, we work as a, as a group. Uh, we have different teams. Uh, I'm responsible for a, a team, of course, dealing with digital, uh, with the commissioner for single market, for research and, and innovation, for privacy and, and consumer protection. So, you know, uh, trying to bring people together uh, because very often the interesting things actually happen sort of between portfolios, uh, sort of where there is some tension, where there is some excitement. And this is why working in teams and taking decisions uh, as a team, that is really what, what sort of drives us to find good solutions. Uh, but obviously we need the direction uh, that has been set by our president and backed by leaders of heads and state of government and the European Parliament. That's great. Well, on that note, one of your responsibilities I read is to ensure uh, the long-term um, strategy and sustainability of the Europe's uh, industry, making our industries, our traditional industries, fit for the digital age as well. Um, so can you maybe elaborate on, on the specific strategy that you have for industries to come out of this crisis in a better way? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, uh, Europe lost out on sort of the first wave of digitization on, on social media, on, on search. Uh, we all know that the giants, they are uh, American. But we have a, a talent that we have almost kept a secret, which is uh, the business-to-business -business technology. Amazing use of uh, Internet of Things data, industrial data. Uh, data that are not necessarily uh, personal uh, or private, sometimes in between and sometimes strictly not. So trying to make sure that we have the capacity to use this. Uh, over the last years, we have built a European uh, high-performance uh, computing. Uh, eight different uh, sites uh, have this. And we are now pushing for 5G uh, deployments and doing that in a secure manner. So it's both to say, well, now, Let's make the strategy to make this happen because we have the potential, both in traditional business, but also in the many, many startups uh, that is meeting out now at, uh, at Podium. But we need the infrastructure. Without the capacities, without the infrastructure, we go nowhere. And last but not least, to make sure that we get an infrastructure to support the development of artificial intelligence, of blockchain, to push forward uh, what we do on quantum computing. Because this is a lot of investment and we need to do that together. Yes, and can, can you also put this in the context of the European Green Deal? Because I'm guessing this is not a separate thing. Uh, these two go hand in hand, but uh, can you sort of elaborate on, on how they go hand in hand? Well, you, you're very right to say so. And, and of course, there is a, a dark side to that as well, because digital technology now, a days, use a lot of energy. Uh, a lot of electricity. I think give or take, it's it's basically the same as, as flying and has increased for quite a number of years. So we have to work on how to bring down uh, the carbon footprint. But that being said, I don't think that uh, the green transition can happen without digital solutions. Mm. Because otherwise, how would you make circular economy happen? You need to be able to trace materials. Uh, if you want to save water or know when water is coming, you want sensors here and there and everywhere, and you need the data to come in for you to be able to control the climate change that is already happening. When you want to have cleaner cities with a lesser footprint from transportation, well, you need to know where people want to go at what time of day. Uh, and also for that, you need data and you need uh, technology to help you doing that. So... The promise is, of course, that we can do green transition by the use of all the digital technology we know already, and that has to come. 
but we need to get in control of the energy consumption. Yes, absolutely. Um, going back to your new role, uh, which you stepped up uh, into uh, in December 2019, which seems like the world was in a completely different situation back yes. then. A lot has changed since then. So obviously, since February, March, um, how has this affected your role within the commission and also your day-to-day -day, uh, operations over there? Well, I have never been in Brussels for such a long time. <laughs> uh, I have not been here since 9th of March. Uh, but usually, you know, I would travel one, two days per week. You know, I would go to Podium Live. I, I wouldn't stay in, in Brussels. So for me, everyday life is very different. And I have learned to use a lot of different sort of conference facilities. That be Zoom, that be WebEx, that be Skype for Business, uh, that be a couple of others as well. But also on a larger scale, We've all had this crash course in digital. So the baseline has changed. We know so much more now than we did two months ago. And the dark side of that is, of course, also that I think everyone sees that the giants, they can make the most of it. So our ambitions to keep the market open for innovation, for startups to make a breakthrough, that ambition, of course, there is an even greater sense of urgency. It cannot be that we just let the gatekeepers decide who should be successful, who should not be successful. It must be the ideas you come with, the investors that you can persuade to, to come on board, uh, the customers that you meet. That is what should decide whether you are making it uh, in the market. Yeah, absolutely. I concur, by the way. I was born and raised in Brussels, but I don't think I have even spent that much time in Brussels <laughs> uh, consecutively myself. Um, but I was, you were talking about gatekeepers, which brings me very, very um, nicely to the next question, which is the fact that in your role as a commissioner for competition, which was a quite a high profile one, um, you have been called a lot of names. Um, mm. Some not so flattering, some very flattering, and some depending on your own political views or perspectives. But one thing that keeps on recurring is that you are an enemy of big tech companies, which I'm sure is not uh, true or at least not the full story. So I was wondering, what, what's your take on this? When people call you the enemy of big tech, uh, how do you respond to that? I think it, it kind of comes with the job because my, my job is exactly not to be overly friendly with anyone, basically. But the second thing is that I never pick an enemy, and, and of course not in a company. What, what I would focus on is the behavior. Uh, because just as humans, uh, also most companies, they have different sides. And something is perfectly fine, and then you find out, oh, actually this was not legal. So you stop doing this, and you have to change your behavior for the future. You know, I try to see, well, how can we make sure that the market works and not just to pick the confrontation for the sake of the confrontation, because that doesn't open any doors for uh, startups, for people who are in the phase of scaling up. And that is what we need. Yes, absolutely true. I was also um, recently watching uh, one of your speeches at the College of Europe uh, here in uh, Bruges, here in Belgium, uh, where you talked about unfair competition and that mm -hmm. the rules should be the same for you know, both small companies and big companies, which I thought was a, was a really interesting speech because um, it, it sort of, um, uh, it begs the question, how do you ensure fair competition between the very small, fast-moving companies and startups and big tech companies who also have you know, their role to play in innovation. So how do you marry those two? Well, well, actually, if, if one wants to make it very pointy, uh, I think the, the big ones, when they get so big that they are gatekeepers, they should have more obligations uh, than the smaller one. 
because, you know, we have the saying, the broader shoulders, they should carry the, the bigger load. And what we see is that in, in, in markets uh, that are digital, you have um, uh, marginal costs coming down to zero, you have the network effect, you have a different market dynamic. So you also get a competition for the market. And, and once you win the market, basically, you set the rules, you become a private regulator. The problem is that we know not from one, not from two, but from three Google cases, that these are not necessarily rules that cater for fair competition. So this is why we would want to do regulation to say, well, there are numbers of do's and don'ts if you are a gatekeeper, because otherwise the smaller companies, they do not have a fair chance of competing uh, for the market uh, for the customer. Yes. Well, I have a perfect follow-up question uh, about that because I was reading in the FT yesterday that um, the um, all the different government measures that are being implemented to help startups come through this mm. crisis alive uh, might be flying in the face of the EU state aid rules and the competition rules that we have in place. Um, is that something that concerns you as well? Is that something that you think we can fix? Well, right now, uh, of course, the needs are so much bigger uh, so we also enable much more aid uh, from the different member states to reach businesses because we have had a slowdown before. We never, ever had a lockdown. So obviously, the needs are uh, unbelievable. And, um, and here, of course, we try to make sure that also businesses in, in different sort of life situations uh, can get uh, some help. My concern is that we cannot just leave it to <clears throat> the 27 member states because they're very different. They're different in size. They have different pockets. Some have very deep pockets, some not so much. No. So, so we need also a, um, a European recovery plan. And we need to be able to, to deploy funds in sectors and, and countries where, where you do not have the same opportunities as in, in countries where they have much more sort of fiscal room uh, to step in and to help. Yeah. Um, on the topic of government help for startups in the first place, there's actually quite a, a lot of debate in the community about should governments be bailing out startups in the first place? Should we not be looking at the very essential uh, industries first and look at startups later? Uh, where are you on that point? Well, I, I think it's, it's of course, a, a very difficult choice to make, uh, but, but startups hold sort of uh, uh, the DNA of the future. Because if you are a startup, if, if you are sort of, you know, grasping just a small part of the market yet, but, but you have a sense of what is coming and you can put new technology into real life uh, services and, and products, well, we cannot sacrifice that for the businesses that has been around for decades and decades and decades. So I think we have to be nuanced uh, also because very often the bigger businesses uh, with a long history, they very easily attract the attention of policymakers. It's much more difficult for smaller businesses and groups of smaller businesses to get the ear and the attention. So I think it's very important that we push to a balanced approach here to say, well, yes, we have big businesses and some of them, they will need some, some aid to push through, but we also have a vibrant environment and we will not lose this value, this DNA for the future because then we will be stuck here and that is not that attractive. 
Yes, well, I think that's a, that's a very good observation. I'm very happy to hear you say that. Um, going back to the, the big tech companies, you recently said that in this crisis, big tech companies actually have an opportunity uh, to prove themselves and to you know uh, show their good side and to really be be proactive in, in coming out of this crisis in a, you know uh, maybe in an improved way. So uh, can you maybe elaborate on that statement? Yes. Uh, since now, as said, we have a new baseline. And, uh, and I think that the only reason why we have not all, you know, gone completely sort of out of our mind is because of technology. Uh, a lot of people uh, have been able to, to keep on working. A lot of students and, and children have been able to keep up their schooling. Uh, a lot of shopping has still been, been taking place and obviously a lot of entertainment. But also we have needed a lot of knowledge. Uh, and, and you see also when it's uh, concerning uh, the COVID-19, uh, the level of conspiracy, uh, false information, you know, to make sure that you push uh, information that is backed by science, uh, that you make sure that people see it uh, so that they can, can choose for themselves, but that it's visible uh, what this is like. Uh, and of course, um, also make sure that this is this is something that we that people know that they are being told uh, that is there's transparency about what is uh, ongoing, uh, and also I think to to enable all these many many smaller businesses who who didn't have a, a digital side to help them become digital so that they can maintain just a part of their business, and last but not least to enable the pickup again, because we will need technology to help us. Uh, do virus tracking, uh, and here for the giants to make sure that the APIs uh, work and cater for apps to work together and cross-border, that would be a third uh, element uh, where it's very, very needed, where we work together with big tech. Yes. Well, you correctly mentioned that technology is going to be be a big factor in uh, getting out of this crisis in the first place. Uh, but I'm also wondering uh, your personal take on which of the industries that you think um, will have a chance to sort of shine when we come out of this crisis on the other side. Um, you mentioned entertainment, there's also education technology, I think healthcare. Um, so what are some of the other industries that you are looking forward to seeing some of the innovation uh, in? Well, I, you mentioned already the obvious. Uh, health is uh, is very important, uh, and it's also important in countries where the health budgets may not be that high. That sometimes technology can be a shortcut to give better services uh, to people who would otherwise not be able to afford it. So there's also a global uh, perspective here. Same thing goes with learning. Uh, also, the awful thing here is that you really see the digital divide. That's in some places like this, uh, the teachers, they were ready, the, the equipment was there. So basically uninterrupted, students could go on. In, in other uh, places, unfortunately, children were sent home with very little, uh, if anything, to make them go by month uh, after month. And the next thing is, is of course, uh, to make sure that also when it comes to uh, e-government, uh, that we push because I think we have a, a, a new chance here because so many people have been doing so many things in a digital way. So to push for e-government to allow people to skip the queues uh, at the municipality office for parking licenses or renewal of their driver's license or whatever it is, to push that entire sector because then that will drive a number of other things as well. 
Yes, I think that's uh, that's a very good point. Um, maybe uh, we have to move to the panel, but maybe one final question uh, on a personal level. Uh, how are you dealing with this crisis? Do you have some some learnings, things that you didn't expect to learn uh, during this crisis, during a lockdown that you, uh, you know, that surprised you? Oh, actually, I, I didn't realize how deep my love is for being with other people. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy that this can happen. But uh, but there is something, it's still different to sort of mostly have the voice to, to, to sort of decode what people are saying and how they feel. And there's something with eye contact that doesn't really work either. You know, I really had a crash course in trying to, to read people by their voice. But I think we are very, very dependent on, on human interaction, real human interaction, in order really to grasp where other people are and, and what they think and how they feel. That's a good point, and I uh, concur. And I would like to thank Podim for at least bringing us together virtually. Yes. Uh, such, a, such a beautiful stage. Uh, thank you so much for the fireside chat. Thank you very much for this. It was, it was really nice talking to you. Likewise. Appreciate it. Now, the next part of this episode is the panel discussion that Robin moderated after the fireside chat. In it, him and Mr. Steger were joined by two other people. First one is the futurist uh, Gerd Leonard from the Futures Agency. He's based in Switzerland. And the second uh, uh, panelist is uh, Emilia Stoymanova-Duch, uh, the head of Slovenia's digital innovation hub for PDIH. Um, we have heard from uh, Mr. Steger, uh, so we're going to have the other panelists um, give us a little bit of an introduction about themselves just to set the context. Uh, Gert, an old friend of mine, uh, how are you? Hi, good, good. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Unfortunately, my camera crashed in the middle of it. You know, tech troubles, what can you say? It's, it's my daily job now. <laughs> Well, welcome back. Uh, we can see you uh, fine now. Uh, Emilia, also uh, a very warm welcome to you, uh, to the panel. Uh, maybe can you uh, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? Hi, Robin. So, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Emilia Stemenova-Duch. Uh, I'm head of Public-Private People Partnership Digital Innovation Hub. Uh, and I'm also assistant professor uh, at the Faculty of Electrical Engineering. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Fantastic. I am not 100% sure if we are waiting for another panelist or not, but I think we can kick off the discussion in the meantime, in any case. Um, you have heard Ms. Vestiger talk about um, one thing that I would like to elaborate on in this panel, which is, which are the industries that are thriving because of this crisis, but it will also maybe have an edge and some something of a benefit when we come out of a you know, on the other side of this. Uh, we mentioned healthcare, we mentioned education, technology, e-government. Do you uh, identify any other sectors that might um, come out, uh, you know, positively out of this crisis? Gert, maybe this is a question for you. Yeah, I forgot to actually give the intro you asked before. So, so I'm a future, <laughs> I'm a futurist. I live in Zurich, Switzerland. I am German. Originally, I, I wrote a book four years ago, Technology versus Humanity, which is very much this topic. So in terms of the industries, you know, it's clearly we're moving towards a future of big tech, big gov, government, <laughs> big state. Uh, that's totally clear because, you know, uh, in many states, we're kind of getting paid by the state now. So we, we have a basic income in so many indirect ways now. And it's really quite clear that money is shifting away from oil and gas, for example, into medical care, into bi biomedicine, into AI, into all the things of technology. So the tech companies are the winners by and large, and they also are the only ones with new jobs. And I think there's a lot of momentum towards this becoming another real big tech thing, which is why we need to think about 
the next step of what I call too much of a good thing. You know, <laughs> see, technology is great, but too much technology is not so great. And then we have to discuss what exactly that means. Yes. Well, I would argue that uh, that goes for some tech top companies, but not all. Um, I, uh, there's a statistic flying around that 50% of European startups might be running out of cash by September. Um, if the situation doesn't change, so that's uh, quite a threat to their, their business and their, their jobs as well. But um, Emilia, what do you think uh, are the sectors that might be thriving because of this crisis and, and when we get out of it, hopefully soon? So uh, what I usually do, uh, my field of research is rural development. And what we have seen here is the opportunities uh, for rural development with digital technologies. I believe we forgot most of the time uh, agriculture, for example, and we mm -hmm. can see uh, how much opportunity digital technologies and new technologies like AI, blockchain, and so on, uh, Internet of Things was mentioned by uh, the commissioner. Uh, so uh, what we have uh, started doing now is working with the local farmers uh, and uh, they started using this new technology for some predictions. Yesterday, it was all about wine. Uh, I really enjoyed the pre-conference day. And uh, for example, uh, most of the farmers are not aware how digital technology can help them uh, in the uh, quality of uh, wine. And also yesterday, we uh, heard a great example about uh, virtual wine tasting. So one could not imagine this would be possible uh, previously. Uh, selling of products, of local products, uh, it was in, uh, incredible how fast local farmers started selling online, which previously mm -hmm. was not possible at all. So uh, I believe uh, that the opportunities is, are in the traditional mm -hmm. sectors. And it, as it was mentioned by the commissioner earlier, so uh, maybe we are lagging behind in social networks and business to customer uh, technology, uh, I mean, uh, sectors, but uh, we have the opportunity in business to business and we should build here on this. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's an absolute good point. I can hear uh, Ms. Vestager uh, yes. nodding in agreement. Uh, do you have anything to add? Well, I think it's it's a very, very good point. Uh, and we see also in, for instance, in small olive producers in, uh, in uh, Greece, also here, because they have better data, they have technology to he help them interpret, they get better quality. So they get a better share of, uh, of, uh, of the value that is produced in the value chain. And, and I find this to be very important also because if you can have this data and learn more, then you can use reduce the use of pesticides so you can enhance both the income of the farmer while at the same time enabling biodiversity uh, and, uh, and better protect, uh, for instance, water. Uh, and, and this seems to be almost invisible because we don't think about it. But precision farming and data-based farming is, is really one of the things I think that will take off in, in the years to come because we, we need the land use uh, in so many different ways, but we also need better income for the farmers actually doing the job. Yes, well, that's absolutely hope so. And um, I'm looking forward to my invitation to the next uh, virtual uh, wine tasting <laughs> event. Yes. Hey, Rob, can uh, I make a quick comment on the, on the tech part? Absolutely. I was yeah. just about to go to you, so... Perfect. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's quite clear technology holds the key for solving so many issues that have to do with things that are solved by technology, right? Efficiency, optimization, intelligence, you know, and that's amazing. The thing that technology does not do, and, and, and I talked about this a little bit this morning, is it will not solve social, cultural, or political problems. Mm -hmm. You know, if we have a problem sharing, technology won't help us. 
it's actually the opposite, right? I mean, mm-hmm. look what happened in social media to the problems of media. They weren't solved by Facebook or by social. They were, they were actually intensified by those kind of uh, things, mm-hmm. right? So we need to have invest, as, as I say, we have to invest as much in technology as we invest in humanity, which is, for example, solidarity and understanding each other and having human skills. I mean, these are very, very important things that have to grow at the same time. That's really what Europe stands for, I think, you know, having those two pillars. Absolutely. So this panel is about future opportunities. Uh, but I also want to sort of highlight where we are right now uh, in Europe, because um, as Ms. Festiger um, earlier in the fireside chat already mentioned, we sort of missed the boat when it comes to social networks. The operating system, the devices that we work on don't typically come from Europe. We're very good in certain things. We're very um, good in science and research. Um, a lot of that takes place here in Europe. We're leaders in fintech um, globally. Um, but my, my question is, what comes next? What are some of the industries, industries that we need to invest in now to make sure that we stay on the cutting edge and that we don't miss the future boats? Is it robotics? Is it VR? Is it artificial intelligence? Um, that's my question to you. Amelia, do you want to kick off first? Yeah, sure. And it's a hard question, actually, because I don't know how to predict this. What are the, the industries? Uh, but uh, what I would like to build on is that uh, technology, as also uh, Gert mentioned uh, today, it's a tool. But we need this tool. And most importantly, we need to know how to use that tool and what for. So uh, I would like to uh, speak uh, instead of what industries we should work on, uh, we should uh, build on digital skills. And we should uh, be make sure that we not widen the digital gap. So because what I'm afraid is happening is that some of the industries, like you were mentioning, robotics, AI, and so on and so on, we have a lot of excellent experts. We have a lot of talent in Europe for that. But on the other side, we have people, the communities who are not aware of these technologies. And uh, what uh, means, so uh, we need to raise the awareness about these technologies because otherwise people are afraid. Uh, there is a lot of fear to using these new technologies. You can read the debates about 5G, uh, about uh, them collecting data. So it's all about surveillance and so on and so on. So I believe that uh, we need to uh, work uh, on the industry. So uh, to uh, bring the technologies in the industry, but at the same time, we need to raise the awareness among the whole community. And an uh, additional thing also today, uh, again by Gert, it was mentioned about smart cities, how smart they should be. But I think that we are not using the opportunity of the digital technologies within the cities uh, inside. So, uh, but for this, we need uh, really to uh, lose the fear in front of the technologies with everyone. Uh, so uh, today was mentioned the education, the schooling. So how to convince them? a rural teacher, uh, for, I mean, a teacher in rural Slovenia to use uh, digital technology and uh, to bring the class to a virtual tour in Versailles. Uh, or maybe uh, a local farmer. I'm right now at the Slovenian coast. We have olives here as well. So how to use uh, prediction data uh, for better olive oil. So I, I think it's more about building on the skills than uh, predicting uh, what industry should we work on. Emilia, I think you make an excellent point. Um, is there a risk of this technology sort of advancing too fast for society to be able to catch up with? Uh, Ms. Festiger, I'm sure you have a, an answer for yeah. that. Well, well, the, the risk is, of course, that we, we get to think that it's about the tool and not about what we want to build. And, and of course, it's wonderful to have a toolbox and you open it, oh, all my shiny tools. But if you have no idea about what architecture, what rooms, what kind of life should this house hold, then 
I, I think you will lose out. And, and the thing is that we have a planet to save. Uh, this uh, climate change doesn't go away. And we also have a number of promises that we haven't kept. So that the promises of universal health care of high quality, uh, the promise that every child uh, can use its talent and, and learn uh, much more, uh, a promise of clean water and, and air that you can breathe. And I think if we if we put those uh, promises, that's a lot of purpose. It makes sense. This is what you want to throw yourself into. Well, then I think we will develop all different kinds of technologies that serves this purpose. And I think what Gerd is saying is, is very, very important that we remember also to invest in the humanities because without the humanities, we will get to think that the tool is, is what is important and not how we use it. Gerd, I have no doubt as a futurist that you can also <laughs> um, build on this discussion uh, to share your own uh, insights on this. You know, I think it's really important that here in Europe, you know, I, I was born in Germany, I lived in America for 20 years, now I live in Switzerland. We we need to uh, lose the fear of things, but we have to keep the caution, right? Uh, and, and this is in America called the pro-actionary, uh, pro, the precautionary approach and the pro-actionary approach, right? And it doesn't have to be either or. I think we can have both. You know, and the thing that really makes us European is that that we are thinking of the collective good, not just the monetary good, right? And that requires us to think with a bit more caution, which means sometimes slower. But we have a huge problem in Europe in general in that, uh, you know, I think a German chancellor, uh, Willy Brandt, once said, if you have visions, you should go see a doctor, right? <laughs> and of course, this is, a, I'm, I can talk about Germany, I'm German, right? But this is very typical. It's like, this is not going to get us into the future, right? Uh, in America, it's the opposite. You don't have visions, you got to go see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and, and we have to fix this. Right? We have to allow people to have visions for a future. That's the Green Deal, right? That's sustainable Europe. It's an equitable Europe. And that is how we're going to get to the future, not by saying that, you know, some, some internet company will invent the future for us. I mean, right now, let's face the fact that the story of the future is being told by tech companies, right? It's not being told by us. To, I mean, we're trying, right? But who tells us to, uh, the future is the big tech companies. And that has to shift over to people who talk about the future based on technology, but not just run by technology. Uh, that's, yes. That would be my hope. Yes, yeah, so technology in service of uh, humanity rather than the other way around. That's a very mm -hmm. good point. And that, um, and that means regulation also, right? That we, we cannot, you know, too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing, right? You drink yeah. too much, you smoke too much, you eat too much, and you use too much data, you watch too much television, and you connect your brain, upload your brain to the internet. That is just too much, right? It's not going to make us more human, I don't think. Yeah, and I think smart, flexible uh, regulation that you can translate across uh, borders is uh, something that's going to be increasingly important down the line. Um, I also want to touch on on something that I think I, that I've identified as sort of a problem in Europe, um, and I'm not the only one uh, by any means, but um, there is a huge uh, potential here. There's huge um, scientific research and innovation being done in academia and in research institutions, research centers that doesn't always transfer well to the commercial market. There is a huge gap in between the technology and the innovation that we invent in labs 
and what we actually bring to the market. Uh, this whole technology transfer is a, is a really huge issue in Europe. Uh, Ms. Vestager, I would like to uh, see if you if you agree with that statement, and if so, if you have a way out of this and a way to fix it. Well, I, I think you're right. Uh, I don't know to what degree it's a problem, but it is indeed uh, an issue. And, and what we try to do is to say, well, if, if for instance, you have a private-public partnership uh, in, in one of these important projects of, of common European interest, it's not only the sort of the innovative phase of the research phase, it's also until first deployment. Because you need also to start thinking about quite early on, how does this meet the market? And you need to be able to have the funds uh, also to, to support that. Of course, eventually it will have to stop because you should be in business because of business and not because of subsidies. Uh, but I think that, that we get a, a deeper understanding of how these processes work. Uh, we can also make sure that research grants, uh, they are, have a better combination uh, for the different phases. Yes. Emilia, do you have any thoughts on this? Actually, yes. <laughs> and uh, right. I believe that uh, the European Commission is doing a great job with the digital innovation hubs. So uh, I can see the role of the digital innovation mm. hubs, uh, how they will better uh, move the research uh, from the universities, from the research centers to the companies and the communities themselves. So I'm a head of a digital innovation hub here in Slovenia. And uh, we are working with companies, but also with public administrators and the communities, because if uh, we are only working with the companies, uh, I was speaking about this earlier, then this is not enough, especially the public administrators uh, and decision makers should be involved in these processes so that they will understand the role of the digital technologies inside. Uh, and uh, I would also like to mention another thing. So uh, digital innovation hubs, I think uh, they will be uh, very good for the digital future of Europe, uh, but uh, we should be careful uh, that uh, we also have a gatekeeper. So we not only put the big players inside because there are a lot of small digital innovation hubs who are maybe new, but very proactive. And uh, somehow they need uh, to get their place uh, on mm -hmm. the market there. Uh, so uh, thank you, European Commission, for doing this great job for the digital innovation hubs. And I believe that uh, this could be one uh, part of the solution. Great. Gert, do you have any additional quick thoughts before we move to some uh, questions from the audience? Yeah, just a quick answer on this. I, I think it's really important that we really do think about a common market that provides enough possibilities for startups cross-border. And that can only be done with the uh, the United States of Europe kind of concept, right? I mean, right now, this is the biggest problem because we have small markets, you know, in uh, in France or Spain, you know, it's not enough to just be local. You have to be across Europe and then we have to be truly united. I think this is the key challenge for us to come together economically much deeper than we are now, especially today saying that is a huge, like, you know, that's like pie in the sky, right? <laughs> so let's hope that happens some way or the other. Yes, uh, let's hope it all together. Um, um, we have about five minutes left. I'm going to take some questions from the Hopin stream where lots of people are asking very good questions. Um, one of them is addressed to Ms. Vestager. Uh, I'm going to uh, quote it. It says, regulator has an eye on big tech companies, which is good. Are you looking more into also the underdogs, the small companies that are following in their footsteps and that might even be more aggressive in breaking standards and existing regulation as they grow very quickly? That's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, of course, we, we try to stay uh, vigilant, but one of the things that we, we actually need is a, is a competence uh, to go into a market that hasn't tipped yet. 
where, where an investigation could show us, oh, there is a risk of tipping here. There's a risk that someone uh, with an aggressive behavior, but maybe not illegal, is, uh, is changing uh, the market dynamics and making it very difficult uh, for others to step in here. And, uh, and we're just starting a consultation on such a market instrument to make sure that we can, can get in, not to give a fine, but to say, well, these are the commitments that you will have to follow in order for this market to stay open and dynamic. Uh, and that could cater for a situation as the one described. Great. Uh, one short follow-up question that I think is also interesting. Is there someone looking after ethics when it comes to digitalization uh, within the commission? In different ways, uh, yes. Uh, of course, a lot of our ethics, they are in our legislation. Uh, sort of the GDPR can be seen as sort of digital citizens' rights. And there's a lot of value and, and ethics uh, into that. Uh, so I have colleagues uh, who watch over uh, that uh, in particular. And what we have been doing with, uh, where I have been responsible, for instance, with artificial intelligence, is to say, well, we've been working with huge number of external experts exactly on ethics. And what came from this is to say a lot of artificial intelligence, go, go, go. But if there is a risk of our fundamental values, well, we are in our democracies. We have full legitimacy to say, well, this will, will actually control because there is a question of something fundamental here that we will not lose. Right. Um, so that's it for um, questions from the audience. I have asked a question to Ms. Vestager at the end of our fireside chat. I'm going to ask the same question to Gert and Emilia. Uh, what are some of the most surprising learnings for you um, that you learned during this lockdown? Some things that surprised you about either human behavior or, or the strength of technology or the weaknesses of technology uh, in this whole situation for the last two months? Gert? Yeah, quoting Milton Friedman, who I don't usually quote, right? Only a crisis real or perceived provides real change. And I, I see change everywhere now, in good ways and in difficult ways. But I think I'm surprised by this feeling that, that we're moving into what I call the great transformation, right? not the great depression. You know, everything is being questioned. I'm also surprised and positively surprised by how much compassion and, and willingness to collaborate all of a sudden is unfolding. Right? Uh, and I just hope we can we can integrate that politically into a larger movement, you know, the the post-corona movement, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, that's that's very good to know. That's an excellent observation. And can you can I also compliment you on your uh, background uh, in the meantime, uh, which is quite thank you, futuristic thank you. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Emilio, what's your biggest learning in uh, in all of this? Uh, so my personal biggest learning is that I can stay at home for two months and not travel. I, I, I was very surprised. I'm also uh, living in one city, uh, commuting to another. So I saw that uh, how much time I have uh, per day. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, regarding the, the community uh, is uh, how we, uh, we are aware of what we are eating. So are we eating local food from the local farmer, where the food is coming from? Uh, then another thing is uh, that people who are against uh, digital technology Technologies that suddenly uh, they had nothing against the digital technology to use it just to be able to work. Uh, and surprisingly, many people uh, who were not very fond of working from home because they thought that working from home is not a work at all. But now they saw that working from home uh, works perfectly fine and that sometimes you're even more efficient than if you're going to the office. Uh, so, yeah, I was very surprised of all these changes happening uh, inside the whole society. 
Yes, I agree. That's also one of my learnings that the fact that these uh, a lot of these companies were resisting remote working and digital communication tools rather than being in an office for so long. And now that they're forced to suddenly it becomes possible and even even maybe even more productive. And uh, so we'll see how we uh, how, how lasting that change is you know, when we come out on the other side of this. And I also said this yesterday on um, I was a speaker at the EU uh, versus a virus um, live stream. And I, I I said something that I, I think is worth repeating here is that I think this, this crisis sort of brings out the best in people, but it also brings out the worst in people. It also exposes, exposes some of the flaws in the system, both on the political level, in healthcare, on, on other uh, subjects as well. So, so my hope is that at least we, you know, take this whole time that we have as an opportunity to look at what's going on, to really learn from it and to, mm-hmm. you know, make improvements down the line. Uh, Ms. Vestager, I'm going to give you the last minute to give your clothing thoughts for the podium audience and, of course, the virtual audience that's uh, watching from their homes. Well, well, thank you very much. It has been uh, it has been great. And I really like the consideration both from, uh, from Gerd and, and from Emilia, because I think these are the observations that will... Uh, make sure that we do not forget what we have learned uh, under confinement uh, and with this uh, digital crash course, but we'll also make sure that we do not forget everything else that we knew already, uh, that societies is for uh, citizens, that markets is for uh, consumers uh, and customers, and that we have a responsibility for when we use uh, digital technologies uh, to make sure that they are they are put in place for for the best use. Uh, of course, I hope that many 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 of the startups uh, on on podium will make loads of money. But I also hope that they will uh, drive technology to enable us to do some of the things that that we would want to do. Uh, we want to fight climate change. Uh, the planet is still uh, at the table despite COVID and and everything. That will enable us to fulfill some of the promises that we haven't really kept yet about education and about healthcare and about the clean environment, uh, clean air, clean water. Uh, we still have so much to do, and I'm really enthusiastic to see what can happen uh, in a situation like this when we have to. But just on picking up the last thing on GERD, the care, the empathy, the helpfulness in so many people has shown that civilization is not just a thin layer it is, it is really who we are. We have a very strong culture uh, and that strong culture can also make the best of, uh, of technology. So thank you. Well, thank you for sharing these uh, positive closing thoughts. Uh, we are right on time. Uh, I cannot thank you all enough uh, for this pleasant conversation. Uh, I hope it was useful for the audience. Thank you so much for your time and hope to see you in person very soon. Indeed. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at tech.eu. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.